Welcome back to the Keeping It Covered podcast here on 89.1 The Point. Sports Director Ben Blakely here, and I'm joined by Kathy Hoyt, the Executive Director for Section 5 Athletics. Kathy, thank you for coming on to talk some Section 5 sports with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. So, Kathy, the first question I want to ask you, hopefully um, October 5th is the day for, um, for us out here to uh, finally get to enjoy Section 5 sports again, at least the low-risk ones, such as men's and women's soccer. So what are some of the protocols that athletes and coaches are going to have to follow in terms of mask wearing and specific competition on the field for games? So districts are going to have the ability to put in, proto- in place protocols that fit their district needs and philosophies, but in general, the New York State Department of Health has a guidance document that the New York State Public High School Athletic Association utilized when they put out their return to interscholastic athletics uh, guidance document that all all districts and ADs uh, received. The most updated version at this time, it was distributed on September 11th. Um, But relative to face coverings, the Status Athletic Association is following the guidance provided by the State Health Department. And basically it's saying if you're involved with a a activity or a sport that you can't maintain at least six feet of distance, then uh, an acceptable face covering must be worn uh, unless players are unable to tolerate a face covering for actual physical activity. So that would mean playing on the field or uh, during practice when you're involved with physical activity. Um, I know many districts though are putting into place that their student athletes must wear face coverings at all times. And like I said before, the guidance document from the New York State Department of Health and the guidance document from the State Association, Athletic Association, are are truly guidance and recommendations, hence allowing a district to have additional protocols or stricter protocols that work for them. Because they're in charge of keeping their coaches, athletes, spectators safe at all times. So you're gonna see a variety of different looks, I'm gonna say. So Section 5 Athletics has been a key piece in the Western New York area, especially for fans. There's a lot of schools around here, the Brockport area, that have very huge fan sections filled with students and alumni. I know you said that there's those specific protocols that each school has to follow, but what, in terms of what uh, New York State has outlined, what are the protocols for fans and how will they be enforced? Because I know I've heard some rumblings that uh, there'll be two vouchers given to each athlete, and that means that they will have two fans that can accompany them to watch the game. Yeah, the New York State Department of Health uh, Department of Health guidance document clearly states two spectators per athlete. Um, that's what the New York State Public High School Athletic Association is um, recommending or following. So once again, schools are putting into place a system to I'm going to call it uh, monitor their spectators. Some districts are being stricter and saying no spectators and why, um, for, for a variety of reasons, their facilities might not be able to uh, host that many people, especially like the indoor facilities like swim and dive. As well, you know, departments of health at the local level are interpreting uh, things 
in a way that would not allow for any spectators. So it, once again, you're going to see uh, different differences. Um, but most schools are, you know, the, the key here is communicating um, between the schools and your opponents, whether you're the host school or you're the guest school, communicating between athletic administration offices so that all spectators know what to expect, both at a home site and an away site. And you had mentioned like vouchers. Every school may use their own unique system. I know a lot of um, leagues are having a uniform league way that they handle it, whether it's, you know, um, two, you know, I'm going to call it credit cards type style things that, you know, uh, Joe Smith on the boys soccer team is going to get card number one and two. And so when I come and I'm Joe Smith's parents, the, at the gate, it says Joe has card one and two, and we show card one and two at the gate. So some are doing pre-made passes. Every league or school is doing it differently, but all schools seem to be working uh, hard to put in place uh, a system that accurately tracks the two spectators per person, if that's what they're allowing. And then uh, that information is also uh, important because one of the things they have to do according to the guidance document is be able to provide information for contact tracing. It, it should it come out that at this event, at this school, at this night, somebody has tested positive, who do we need to contact? So um, like I said, that's all part of what schools have been charged to do as far as um, monitoring all their spectators. It, it's definitely going to provide a different experience because you, you started out mentioning, you know, student sections and then, and they have become very popular over the last, you know, five to 10 years where, you know, they have names and they have theme nights and they have uh, leaders and, and uh, you're not going to see that this fall. Now, now I know you said for the fall, is there any possible, you know, shifting that could happen in case, you know, we do get a vaccine? in the um, springtime that we will that those restrictions I guess you say could be loosened? Um, so for right now you know everything's written for for the fall season these things must occur and I, I would gather you know as far as at the state athletic association level if as things evolve and change then their document will evolve and change but right now I can honestly say I don't want to say that's not being discussed, but not actively and with a lot of time and energy, because right now, as you can imagine, we're just trying to get those kids for the fall teams uh, practicing and on the field to play. And, you know, I think everyone would agree that to try to maintain the involvement in athletics, everybody's going to have to do their part. And, you know, I think most school districts all the way from the superintendent down through the athletic administrator, the principals, the coaches, the athletes, the, the message is, is if we all do our part, then the chances of us being able to maintain involvement are higher than if one of the groups goes lax with something. Um, so everything from, you know, spectators to kids to coaches, um, you know, the, the scoreboard operator, the bald person, if you're having bald people, everybody's got to do their part, you know, wear the mask, you know, watch your distance, 
sanitize that type of thing, you know? Exactly. One thing that I found interesting is how close fall sports season two and spring sports are in terms of start date. Fall sports season two starts on March 1st and has that recommended end date of May 1st. And mm -hmm. that's obviously a fingers crossed situation. Mm -hmm. um, but spring sports are set to begin on April 19th in between that competitive time for fall sports season two. I know that students can transfer over three practices from fall sports season two to spring sports. But mm -hmm. to me, it kind of sounds like athletes may possibly have to choose between playing football or volleyball um, for fall sports season two and not possibly be able to play baseball or lacrosse in the spring. So what do you have to say in terms of these athletes either not having to make a choice or saying, yes, we will be able to do, you know, for example, let's say Joe wants to play football and he will play it in season two but then he wants to play lacrosse in the spring. So how does that kind of work in terms of yeah. your side? Yeah, um, well, and you said it that with the traditional fall sports of boys and girls, volleyball, football, and competitive cheer getting moved to what you phrased as the New York State Public High School Athletic Association deemed fall two, that's a start date of March one and a recommended end date of May one. And once again, that's a recommended uh, end date you know, each section can function as uh, independently. Um, so, you know, section five could easily say, yep, we'll, you know, we'll start those fall two sports on uh, March one, but we're gonna end it, you know, uh, April 23rd or, you know, a, a week shy of May 1st. So then that you've got the overlap only one week instead of two weeks. Um, and as you indicated, you know, section five hasn't made that decision, but it's something that will be discussed you know, we need to get to those discussions, but we don't have to do it today or tomorrow. We still have a little time. And then you, to minimize kids having to make a choice when they typically would normally play those two sports, let's use football and boys lacrosse. Um, the state has always had um, a clause where you're able to carry over a certain number of practices from one season to the other season for a couple different scenarios. Say I'm a, typically an athlete that does a certain sport and then I decide, ooh, I wanna switch to another sport. You can switch, you carry some over or in the situation where if my team was involved with like regional play and state play that in any sport, that tends to go a lot longer and it tends to overlap with the next season when we're, when everything is normal. So when kids are involved in state competition, they too are allowed to carry over practices. So that's kind of a normal situation. Um, so if we can minimize the overlap and then allow kids to carry over, we're hoping that then kids aren't gonna have to choose and that they can play both their sports. So yeah, we're hoping, we hoping we can get there, <laughs> get to the spring and that we're you know, able to, allow kids to do both sports and try to lessen the impact. Um, I mean, for spring sports to start on April 19th, um, you know, in upstate New York, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Baseball, softball, you know, we now can play games when we, we normally are done by wrapping up by mid-May. And now when they're actually gonna be playing games at the end of May, we might have a season that is more spread out than ever before. I mean, so, some years we're playing, you know, 
12 baseball games in 18 days. That, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. Even though there will be sectional championships, at least for the fall, there will be no state championships. And this is huge for Section 5, as many of the playing games and championships are hosted up here in Section 5 and Western New York. So how much of an economic and social impact will there be for not having state championships, at least for the fall, up here in Western New York? Yeah, so and let, let me just go back um, at the very beginning, Ben, you had indicated though there will be sectional championships. Um, right now, section five, uh, going into the fall season, we're, we're planning with the intention to offer those, but that hasn't, we'll be, we'll be deciding as a section here in the next uh, couple of weeks, what is actually going to happen there, just because there's uh, so many things that look different now than in the past. And so we have to evaluate all aspects of a sectional tournament uh, before we move forward with yes, a definite or no, you know, we're not going to, you know, simply based on the fact alone, you know, if there's two spectators per athlete, our revenue is extremely impacted um, with that. And then if your expenses don't change because you're still paying officials and workers and venue costs, that's a huge impact, economic impact on Section 5. Um, as far as, you know, regionals not being held in this area, and state-wise, I think field hockey was supposed to be in Buffalo. I'm trying to think quickly here. I don't think Section 5 was charted regional, regional contests, obviously, were, but state-wise, I think it was just field hockey in Buffalo. I mean, anytime you uh, bring people into a community, there's going to be an economic impact as far as, you know, eating, uh, lodging, that type of thing. So, you know, I don't have specific numbers, but anybody involved with sport knows that when you bring a large group of people into an area, they're going to they're gonna spend money, um, hotel, food, you know, gas, that type of thing. So it will surely look different this year. So I want to switch gears to the football side of things. There's been, there was an announcement that the schedule, at least for the spring, is going to be this sort of federation type of scheduling. So kind of explain to me and the listeners what a federation type style of schedule means. Okay, yeah, no, just, uh, just to make sure everybody understands, the federation type scheduling has been in effect for the last couple of years. So it's not new this year. But federation scheduling is just based on scheduling based on uh, always playing teams that are in your like size school, um, you know, or like size as far as enrollment. So it used to be, you know, um, in the past, your regular season schedule was based on your league, Monroe County League, Livingston County League, Genesee. Wayne Finger Lakes, whatever league you're in, you played the teams in your league. Well, um, within a league, there is often a great difference between the smallest school and the biggest school. Um, so you would have very small schools playing very big schools or vice versa um, because they were in your league. Now with federation scheduling, it's based on school size. So AA, A, B, C, D, your, your schedule is based on your class size. 
you might have two divisions in your class, you know, C might be divided up into the big C's and the small C's, but based on the state numbers for that class, everybody in that class is there based on like numbers and then your schedule is based on schools with like numbers. So well, that's the schedule we'll be using, the, you know, the system we'll be using. And like I said, that's not new based on the look of football this year. Um, that was new a couple years ago in section five. And some sections have been using federation scheduling for years. In terms of how all the seasons have been planned out, obviously you have, you know, your low risk fall sports that begin hopefully on Monday. And then you have your fall sports season two, which like you said earlier was fo is football, volleyball and competitive cheer. Those will start hopefully in that kind of early spring, late winter phase. And then obviously you still also have your winter sports. You have basketball, you know, you have, um, for example, you also have wrestling. That's a huge one in there too. And then ice you also, hockey. and ice hockey. And then in the spring, you have obviously your baseball, softball, um, lacrosse and outdoor track and field. Mm -hmm. So was there any input from the athletes themselves as to how these seasons were planned and are going to look out, not only at the end of this year, but also in 2021? It's the state association, the New York State Public High School Athletic Association that I'm going to call it, maps out what sports are in what seasons. And, you know, the adjustment this year based on, you know, the situation we're in, they're the ones that spearhead the discussion. But then you can see that at a certain point, then sections can, you know, work autonomously and, and do what's best for their section. But as far as the, the current placement, where the seasons are, there was no, that I'm aware of, there was no um, input from student athletes. As you know, the New York State Public High School Athletic Association uh, developed a task force which had representation from every section and then all aspects of sports, everything from athletic trainers to transportation directors to superintendents, principals, um, officials, ADs, executive directors. So that task force was a recommending body and, and you probably saw back when that task force first started, at one point they put out like five or six different scenarios and it, that's evolved over time as things change daily. Um, now, like I said, direct student, student athlete involvement, I'm not aware that there was, but indirectly through those people on the task force who might work, you know, principals that might interact with kids, athletic directors that talk to student athletes. But you know, no matter what group you're working with, when you ask a question, you're going to get lots of different options and answers, you know, and everybody develops their answer based on the lens that they're looking through. And any size group you're in, there's always, an, everybody has a different lens. So. A lot of people have been asking why volleyball was not included in the low risk fall sports season. Obviously, this is a New York State Public High School Athletic Association question, but I wanted to get your opinion on it. Why do you believe volleyball was not included in those low risk fall sports? Well, um, how it all played out was the National Federation of High Schools, which is the governing body at a national level. So, you know, Section 5 is part of the New York State Public High School Athletic Association, and then the New York State Public High School Athletic Association is part of 
NFHS, the National Federation of High Schools. So the National Federation of High Schools had a committee that did a risk assessment for all sports. And then the state of New York, and I, I honestly, I don't know, you know, if it was a, a combination of people or I don't believe it was just the New York State Department of Health. And it might have been just the New York State Department of Health. They, they did a, a sport risk assessment for all the sports. And there was between the NFHS risk assessment and the New York State document, there was three sports that were evaluated differently. Volleyball, ice hockey, and basketball. NFHS deemed them moderate risk. The New York State group deemed them high risk. And the New York State Department of Health, high risk sports and recreation activities are characterized by least ability to maintain physical distance or to be done individually, least ability to one, avoid touching of shared equipment, two, clean and disinfect equipment between uses by different individuals, or three, not use shared equipment at all. So those are the items that are then labeled high risk. And volleyball probably created the most head shaking, like just don't get it from, you know, and it, it, it's tough because you can have a, a clear indication how is volleyball any different than soccer. Soccer, you probably have a greater chance of coming in contact with somebody than in volleyball. So the only difference I see, and I'm not saying that this is what made it high risk versus moderate risk or why they made, I mean, soccer's outdoors and volleyball's indoors. Is that the one way, you know, the one item? I can't say that that was what put it there. Cause like I said, I read those three things, or two items off and that's what the Department of Health used to put it there. So why volleyball there and soccer down here? Yeah, that's a great question that, and like I said, that's the one that's been asked and been questioned the most probably. So that's actually a perfect segment to my next question. In terms of you being the executive director of Section 5 Athletics, mm -hmm. what have been the highs and lows for you in terms of learning of these, I guess you could say regulations from the New York State Department of Health and from the New York State Public High School Athletic Association? And the idea that you kind of guiding some of these school districts around, you know, Section 5 to reinforce these regulations. So what have been the, those kind of highs and lows for you in terms of learning of them and kind of helping other schools enforce them? Yeah, I guess, I mean, since mid-March when we went into a whole different focus, you know, early on, and I continue to say it daily, we need to continue to exercise patience. And then we have to be flexible. Patience, because we're, we're not gonna have all the answers that we want when we want them. And then flexibility in the sense that things could change daily or hourly. And so you have to be flexible to the potential constant change that's occurring. And now another phrase that now that the guidance document is out and sports are up and running, my next, I guess, statement that I make to a lot of people that call is we, we need to use common sense. So, you know, those are, that's just been consistent. 
not necessarily a high or a low, but I guess just the consistent reminder, patience, flexibility, and just let's make common sense here. You know, um, there's times where between March and now, one day I can sit at my desk and be so optimistic and excited that, yay, we're back at it and we're going to be able to do this. And yes, we're going to have to do it differently, but we're here, we're ready. And then the next day I could sit at my desk and go, oh, this isn't going to work. I don't see how this is going to happen. And the odds are against us. And you, you talk about highs and lows. That's, I guess, that's what I, it's just been a roller coaster for everybody. The athletes, the coaches, the ADs, anybody, you know, the parents, anybody associated with athletics, I think it's just been a, a roller coaster. And one minute you're feeling optimistic and um, ready to go. And the next minute you're feeling defeated and deflated and like, oh, come on, we got to get back at it because this is what's everybody's we we do so but i guess though like i said just patience flexibility and we need to just make sure we're all doing our part to hopefully have things continue i've talked with a couple of section five athletes i talked with some people from brockport and i've talked with a couple of people um from wayne central where i graduated and mm -hmm. the, the athletes it's even though the restrictions are so, I wouldn't say strict, but that obviously with the face mask coverings and the socially distant and, you know, washing your hands all the time, they're still excited to be finally out on the field again and playing with their friends. And hopefully at the end of the year, they'll be able to say, I won a championship. Mm -hmm. Obviously a lot of kids in the spring, um, they had no chance to win a championship, but then you have those kids that play two to three sports every year and they hopefully can finally win that fall sectional championship. So what would you say to all the athletes that are preparing to get back on the field, not only now with the low risk fall sports starting in a week, but also for all those athletes that, you know, even though they can't possibly go out and, you know, hit each other for football and get ready, but they still can work out in the, you know, in like a gym. So what would you kind of say to them? Because I know for sure that a lot of them are really excited to get back out on the field. Yeah, no, I mean, first and foremost, prepare yourself physically, mentally, emotionally to participate. If you get the opportunity to participate, don't take it for granted because at any point, as we know from last spring, within a 24 hours, it can be taken away from you. So, and then enjoy yourself, enjoy your teammates, enjoy the experience. And while you're out there, give it your best shot, you know, in hopes that when you're playing, it's not your last contest, but play it like it might be your last one. Cause in reality, that might be the case. Um, you know, I, I can't forecast that, but I guess if anything, um, this whole situation where we're all in it together and nobody's ever been through it before, it's taught us to value what we do have and while we have it, enjoy it to its fullest extent because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. For a lot of these kids, it's the first time they've been, you know, challenged potentially with a real life wake up call like, wow, life can change in the matter of minutes. So, while you're given the opportunity, make sure you're ready health-wise to compete. And then while you're competing, do it to the best of your ability and enjoy it. While, while we as adults 
work to keep you, you know, safe and educationally sound in our practices. So uh, this is kind of a s similar question, but it's a little different because, you know, for, for us being the side of the media here at 89.1 The Point, it's been very bone dry in terms of going out to cover athletics. I mean, I've emailed a couple athletic directors who we cover out here and mm -hmm. there's been all these restrictions that, you know, you're going to have to call ahead of time to reserve a spot or it might just be make sure you stay socially distant and have a, you know, a press pass on you at all times when you're out on the field to whether it's to interview players or coaches or take pictures. And also you have the fan side of it where obviously you have the two vouchers, but you know, I've heard some instances where some schools have explored the options of live streaming games so people can watch them on YouTube or watch them on their Facebook page. So why should the media fans and also the officials who are going to be out there on a daily basis interacting with these athletes, why should they be excited for high school sports to finally return here for Section 5? Yeah, so let's take it like by groups. I mean, I, I'm assuming most people choose to officiate because they love the sport or they like being around kids or youth, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a form of income, but for officials, I think just like the kid, there, there's a level of excitement just to be able to get back at it. For people like you, you, you talked about the media, it's been pretty dull and dry, in, especially if you're sports or athletics media. Um, you guys have probably had to really work hard to dig up stuff to report on. So I think when we get back to live sport and then especially high school athletics, where there's that education-based philosophy, it's just got to be fun as somebody from the media just to watch kids, our youth, our young adults going out and playing. And now probably with an extra level of maybe excitement or energy, because like you said, they're You've talked to athletes and they are so excited to be back. Yeah, a lot of them did play youth sports over the summer, but some of our kids don't have that opportunity and they only play high school athletics. So putting on a uniform and going out and representing their school with their teammates, they enjoy that and they're very proud and excited to be doing it. You know, and then again, for the fans, we only have maybe a limited amount of fans in the stands. I think it's really important for people to understand now with limits, it's more important now than ever to be good role models for those kids that are out there playing, cheer for them positively and be encouraging because of the uniqueness of the, the situation we're in and, and support them in their enjoyment of the sport versus potentially evaluating them or, you know, I'm not saying all, but criticizing them for what they did wrong or they're out there giving it their best every day. They're between the ages of 14 and 17 and they're out there working hard in a very unique circumstance. So let's celebrate them versus, you know, like I said, evaluating them and how they're playing or what they're doing, that type of thing. So last question, Kathy, a lot of parents are still concerned with their children playing Section 5 athletics, even with the idea of the restrictions with masks and, uh, you know, hand washing and being socially distant. If you were in the shoes of a parent, what would you say to them who are still on the fence of having their son or daughter compete this season, whether it be in right now with the fall um, low-risk sports coming up or even all the way into the spring where baseball and softball are back out in the field? 
Sure. No, I was a parent of three adults now, but when they were, they were all three sport athletes in high school. And I, I think in speaking to someone more so now than probably in the past, you know, when my kids were growing up, they just said, mom, I'm playing whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, go ahead. No matter when you play a sport or what sport you play, there's risk versus reward. You know, some might say there's a greater risk in playing football than there is running cross country because you're talking collision contact versus non-contact. But no matter what activity you involve yourself with, there's risk. When you go skiing as a family on the weekend, the little lift pass says something on the back about there's risk in this activity and you're assuming that risk. So I think now parents, you know, are, are looking at that risk of participation at a, at a different level than they did before because of the current situation we're in. And I, you know, you have to, as a, a family, determine the risk versus the reward. If you're somebody that lives in a multi-generational home and the possibility of being exposed to COVID virus and, and bringing it home to an elderly in the family, that's something that you got to be concerned about. So, you know, as far as, like you said, those parents that are debating that, you know, whether fall or sometime at this point in the school year, you know, I, I think open communication with your student athlete, figure out what's best and most comfortable for um, you as a, a family or as a parent of an individual. You know, a, a parent could always, I'm going to say, set protocols or guidelines for their athlete that might be different from the school what the school says. Maybe the school says, you know, yeah, if you can't tolerate your mask, you don't have to wear it. A family can always say, nope, we're going to say you're going to wear it at all times if you want to play. So, I mean, there's a certain level of ownership that a family can take when evaluating, should my student athlete be involved or, or not be involved? Um, you know, and if, uh, if somebody feels like that there's too high of a risk for maybe their student to participate in one sport, well, then maybe there's another sport out there at the same time that your student athlete would want to try for the first time and consider participating in that. So, you know, switch sports from a moderate risk to a low risk. That, that opportunity is there and here's a chance to try something new and different. I mean, a lot of times kids don't want to do that. I get it. Um, but I mean, this fall, we have lots of football players running cross country, trying soccer. We have a lot of Volleyball players, boys and girls trying different sports. And, and to me, one of the unintended benefits of this whole situation is kids are going to be able to play four sports in a year and try something they've never done before. Maybe they always wanted to, but couldn't. Well, here, it was forced upon them, you know. Girls trying swimming or tennis or golf instead of playing volleyball. We'll get to play that in March, you know, fingers crossed. So, yeah, I think, like I said, I think there's just got to be open, honest communication between student athletes and moms and dads. And then you just have to, you got to do what's comfortable for you, what's right for you. And then if you just are, um, use common sense, you should be able to hopefully participate safely, both, you know, physically safe, and then I'm going to call it mentally and emotionally safe as well. So that is going to do it here for the Keeping It Covered podcast here on 89.1 The Point. Kathy, I appreciate the time, and hopefully Section 5 Athletics will be back to where they were a year ago soon. <laughs> Me too. To listen to any 89.1 The Point production, head to our SoundCloud page or to our website at 891thepoint.com. 
So for Kathy Hoyt, I'm Ben Blakely from the 89.1 The Point Sports Desk saying be safe, wear a mask, and keep it covered.